Hello and welcome to the Devon Wildlife Warden podcast with me, Emily Marbay. In this episode, I'll be throwing the spotlight on orchards alongside Amy Walkden, local tree warden and conservationist. We'll be discussing why orchards are great for wildlife, how you can go about planning one in your community and what to consider in the face of a warming climate. As usual, I will also bring you the latest news and updates from the Wildlife Warden Scheme, as well as what you can do in June for your local wildlife. The Devon Wildlife Warden Scheme is run by Action on Climate in Teambridge, or ACT for short. The idea is to have wardens in every parish or ward who can help their wildlife in a wide variety of ways. I am the Wildlife Warden for Abbots Kurzweil, but we have many others and are always looking for more. We do all sorts of things, from promoting wildlife gardening and recording local wildlife sightings, to working with clubs and schools and commenting on local planning applications, and much, much more. It's really all about each warden doing what they feel is necessary in their area, and which lies within their comfort zone. Axe Wildlife Warden Scheme would not be possible without the generous assistance of our donors, details of which can be found in the episode notes. Many thanks to them all. So today we're talking orchards. You may have spotted beautiful blossom over the last month as fruit trees put on their powdery pink and white floral display for us. In fact, a century ago it really would have been quite the spectacle, with many more orchards putting on a spring show up and down the country. It's a sad fact that since the 1900s, the total area of orchards in England and Wales has roughly halved. But there's more to it than that. We need to talk about orchards in terms of whether they are intensively or traditionally managed too. This is because traditional orchards offer many more ecological benefits than modern, intensively managed ones. And when we delve into the figures in more detail, the situation becomes more alarming. In fact, about four-fifths of traditional orchards have been lost from our landscape over the last century. But how do we know that? Well, a study used artificial intelligence to analyse orchard features on historic maps, dating from 1892 to 1914, and they compared them to modern distributions of orchards. It found that there were nearly 100,000 hectares of orchards at the beginning of the 20th century across England and Wales, but there are nearly 80,000 fewer hectares of traditionally managed orchards now, a decline of 81% in the last century. Often, traditional orchards are mosaics of trees, grasses, shrubs and wildflowers, and they are managed in a low-intensity way, with the ground underneath the trees grazed or mown for hay, and with little or no chemicals used, which makes them a great habitat for lots of wildlife. As fruit trees age quickly, they create the perfect habitats for invertebrates and birds, such as the lesser-spotted woodpecker and the rare noble chafer beetle. Orchards also lend themselves to certain mosses, as well as plants like mistletoe. Many orchards have been lost because they have been converted to fields for the growth of ryegrass for livestock, as well as urban and suburban development. The National Trust undertook the research as part of its Blossom Watch campaign to encourage people to enjoy and celebrate spring blossom, in a bid to embed an annual cultural event similar to Japan's Hanami celebration. Now, I'm fortunate enough to be joined by Amy Walkden, who has certainly been doing her part to help with this campaign. She is the tree warden for Abbots Kurzweil, and back in 2019, she organised the planting of a community orchard here in the parish. Amy kindly agreed to come along and chat to me for this episode of the podcast. 
Hello, Amy. Thank you for joining me in my little studio today. In fact, I think you're the first guest to be in here due to previous COVID restrictions. So no excuse for me to have poor sound quality in this episode. (laughs) Hello. Thank you very much for asking me over and uh, it's a pleasure to be here. So first of all, would you be able to just tell us a quick bit about what it means to be a tree warden? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I, I guess it probably means different things in different places. And I, When I was first asked to be a tree warden, I really had no idea. So I went and met up with the, um, the tree officer at the district council and had a, chat, had a long chat with them about the sort of things that I was, I'd be asked to do. And so I did quite a lot of homework looking at, you know, what sort of questions I might get asked, um, what type of trees there were and what in the local area, which ones had protection orders on them already. And also um, part of the village that we live in is um, in a, a conservation area as well. So mm-hmm. anything that needed works on there, I, we, I might get asked to advise on. Mm-hmm. But in actual fact, as part of the parish council, we don't really have an awful lot of power. We can certainly comment on things, but ultimately it's up to the district council to make a decision on whether or not works can happen. But we only really get sort of a handful, maybe 10 a year of these applications. So more often than not, people are ringing me because they're concerned that a tree's fallen down somewhere. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, they're worried about ash dieback, for example. They want me to come and have a look and give my opinion as to whether or not it's, you know, perhaps got ash dieback. Mm-hmm. And I also have been asked, you know, there've been sort of long-standing issues from villagers where a tree's got a bit too big and they're wondering if they can, you know, somebody can do something about it because it's blocking out light in their garden and that sort of thing. But we really don't have any power. And certainly I don't, you know, although people want me to sometimes get involved with neighbourly disputes because <laughs> someone's tree is, you know, too big in some in a private garden, but that, that's nothing that I can have, we can have any control over no, either. No. Um so, so often it's just advisory, really. So I'll go, I'll go and look at an ash tree that might have dieback, or mm-hmm. give some ideas. Now, and but I've got a bit of, a, I think, a reputation as being very pro tree, tree warden, because almost always I try and encourage people not to remove them <laughs> because of the benefits of dead wood, and yeah. um, you know, unless it's some sort of safety issue, mm-hmm. I'm always trying to encourage people to plant more native trees, really, and yeah, yeah. and leave them there because, you know they are just such amazing resources mm-hmm. for wildlife so yeah yeah no I couldn't agree more I mean I did spot down the lanes of tree with a big branch hanging over the lane holding on by a thread and I wasn't sure if you were the person I need to tell about it <laughs> yeah no I'm not but what what people just don't really know what I do so more often than not if people contact me and tell me that they've got concerns or things are touching lines I just have to direct them to Devon County Council um because they've got a system in place for yeah. reporting hazardous trees but people don't really know and they think tree and they think oh Amy and then they get in touch but a lot of my role is signposting people. Yeah, yeah. And um, was your role as tree warden what started off the process of of wanting to plant a community orchard, or was that a sort of separate side? Yeah, I mean, project? I think I think I, I let the parish council know that I was really interested in promoting and you know keeping trees, mm. um, and I think they just thought I was somebody who was like a kind of go to person to mm-hmm. do anything tree related and which I was really happy to do we don't have a lot of parish land but there we got a large playing field and at the end of the playing field was more or less an unused area unused strip of land um, a lot of the spoil from the uh, new tennis court that was installed was put there oh. and so it had just sort of seeded with an awful lot of thistles and dock and nettles and wasn't really doing anything apart from hosting an awful lot of wildlife which was brilliant mm-hmm. and we had the idea because an opportunity came up for money from 
I don't think they do it anymore, but it was a rural aid grant. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, there's a pot of money there. What can we do with it that would benefit? It had to be used if you were making an application for the benefit of the community. Um, so I wrote a proposal and um, did some costings and suggested that we use this bit of land to plant trees and turn it into a community orchard. I felt like it was going to be a good spot to use because it's relatively flat. Mm -hmm. Everybody can get at it. Yeah. Um, and we don't have anywhere like that in the village. So, so yeah, that's sort of how it started. Uh, okay, okay. And was it difficult to organise? Um, how did you get permission in the end? Was it through the parish council? Well, no, the parish council supported my application, but I had to then go to the district council with my proposal because I think it was for the whole of, of Teambridge. Um, and there were various people making various proposals mm -hmm. for, for community-based grants. So it took a bit of time because I had to have a couple of people come out and look at it and actually uh, understand a bit more about what mm -hmm. I was doing. So there were several months in between yeah. making the application and actually being able to get trees. And when it was granted, we got basically a, a decent budget in order to get several trees. So yeah, just, just a bit of bureaucracy and paperwork standard red tape to cut through <laughs> but we got there in the end and yeah I was absolutely delighted um and, when yeah and did I mean did you have to do stuff like looking at the soil type and what the drainage is like and things like that I think one of the things in the in our favor was that when you looked at the sort of specifications and that you know okay there had to be certain things ticked off so is it going to benefit community is it going to benefit the environment mm -hmm. and where it where it's located is a is one of the village floodplains oh. and so I did rather sort of lean on that and said look the more trees we plant here the you know the better it will be in terms of absorbing water the less likely yeah. there is so I um you know had to sort of be quite creative and make sure that mm -hmm. all the boxes that need to be ticked had something against yeah. them that was going to be beneficial and, and more in our favor ah. and I mean Obviously, we've got a warming climate now, and I sat in on a talk a couple of weeks ago about planting woodlands, which I appreciate is a little bit different to orchards. Um, and one of the things they said was that, you know, in 80 years time, potentially, we could have a climate similar to the south of France. Yeah. And therefore, you know, we have to select tree species when planting woodlands mm. that will be resilient in a warmer, drier climate but fruit trees tend to mature a bit faster and, and perhaps have a slightly shorter lifespan sometimes so was it important to consider climate change when you were choosing um I do you know at the time I didn't think about it that directly but mm. since then because the trees let me think they've been they were planted and they were about two years old when we put them in the ground that mm -hmm. was in 2019 um so the trees are about five years old now mm -hmm. and I think in that short period of time really I've learned more about climate change and thought about it more and the most recent addition to the orchard has actually been a fig tree mm -hmm. and I probably wouldn't have thought or entertained that idea and thought yeah. well we're not going to get a fig tree to thrive and that yeah. you know which is yeah. a Mediterranean well, in a few species. years we might be able to put some lemon trees in <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> so um so yeah I have thought about it more recently than mm. I did at the time you know what might work I mean I don't think you know we're going to necessarily have peaches and apricots growing down there without mm. a good walled area yeah um because i know heat's really important but i'm hoping that the apple varieties that we've picked yeah um the pear will, will survive down there okay yeah um going back to your question about species and choosing what to put in i think another part of the choices that we made were i wanted there to have some sort of historical meaning and mm -hmm. um abbott's curswell has a long tradition with cider making there was in the old cider works which is now sort of business units but mm -hmm. um for many years 
Everybody. We certainly did have traditional orchards yeah. here in the past that yeah. are no longer present though don't we so. well pretty much everyone in the village had apple trees in their garden it would be an annual thing where they'd take you know baskets of them mm-hmm. up to be pressed um and there's a, a very interesting um guy called pete wade who's mm-hmm. written a book about um footpaths and walks all through abbots Curswell, and there's a chapter in there specifically about that and the history of abbots Curswell with cider making so when when i when we occasionally get an opportunity to put a new tree in i try and make give it some sort of meaning they've got so we've got now a couple of old cider make cider variety apples in the back with some wonderful old names we've got like devon star and there's a there's a tree called slack mcgirdle as well <laughs> that we've got at the back there which is just brilliant so um so yeah the, the, i did choose and i'm hoping they'll survive as well i mean obviously that was you know 100 years ago when that was all yeah. happening but i think the fact that you haven't planted like all one type of tree is obviously useful as well because yeah. blights and things would be i would have thought less likely to to travel from tree to tree if they're all yeah. a little bit different yeah. and wanted a good variety of things that would taste different look different mm-hmm. blossom at different times as well yeah um you know just to give the wildlife an extra boost yeah as... a bit of diversity yeah yeah, yeah, yeah yeah i can see that and um and what do you consider to be the main benefits of planting an orchard like ours here in the village well i'm hope you know I'm, the feedback that i get is that it's a lovely peaceful area i think it really came into its own during the pandemic and mm-hmm. when people were only allowed out once a day for their exercise um i think a lot of people really used that area then and found it a very peaceful spot mm. it's undisturbed you know we we don't I don't use any chemicals we don't use fertilizers yeah. we've made a sort of natural path through all the trees and we've now got a couple of benches we're going to put hopefully get a picnic bench down there yeah, as well. we've, we've put funding application in for we that have, so yeah. we'll keep our fingers <laughs> crossed um and it's just it's full of birds full of insects full of butterflies it's just a kind of slightly dreamy hazy place mm. and then you've got the playing field stretching out before you you know you can go down there with children you can push a pram down there and and i think um i think it's just a, a spot that can be used by everybody mm. Mm. And um, obviously with the with the associated benefits for wildlife as well, of course, yeah, yeah. Um, which you've already talked about. And we've got reptile sheets and things down there, we have, we? Yeah, and yeah. bird boxes and all Yeah, sorts we've got of lots of bird boxes installed down there. We've got some corrugated iron to mm-hmm. make um, reptile hideaways. We did have a little peek under them yesterday, me and my son, but there was yeah, I've, I've, a lot of ants. A lot of ants. <laughs> I've seen a lot of little voles under them. Mm-hmm. I did see a grass snake um, at the beginning, but mm-hmm. I think... Uh, you know, you get a few people walking around there and they tend to slither off. Yeah. Um, and I've made, we made some sort of interpretation boards as well, mm-hmm. uh, trying to tell people what things are there. We've, yeah. we've had some local people, creative people, do some beautiful writing on pieces of slate to, so that we're using as tree labels so mm. everyone can see what variety they're looking at as well. Nice and sustainable. Um, yeah, we've got sort of a, a local tree uh, surgeon who gives us piles of wood chips so we can put it on the paths to try and suppress the weeds Mm -hmm. so that people don't get stung too badly down there we've Mm -hmm. got had um, a lovely little fairy ring area so we get the preschool um going down there to do story time i mean it's really a very pretty little place and you know i'm really happy that it's um being used by people if anyone listening from another parish is thinking this is a great idea and i really want to organize a community orchard yeah um i suppose they would need to first identify a potential space and do something similar to what you've done and kind of come up with a proposal definitely find the right spot but you know there isn't a lot of money there aren't those sort of i certainly haven't seen that the rural aid grant has Mm. been around for a while but i think if you get if you've got the right patch of land that you know that you can use it can be a communal space 
I've really found that community response about trees has been great. So even if you don't have a big budget, but you've got the will, you can put it out there to your community um, or to the parish Mm -hmm. and say, okay, we're thinking of doing this. Would anybody like to donate a tree? So you could actually get families. So say there's a baby born Mm -hmm. um, or somebody passes away. A lot of people want to have something to commemorate or... Mm -hmm. And and so you might say, yes, you know, from a family, I'd really like to, you know, my dad passed away last year. Yeah. He loved this, you know, this area. Can can we don't can we help you with one? And, and you can they can help you choose the variety. You know, obviously, I would encourage everyone to get nat- go native where possible. Really? I thought you were going to say I would encourage everyone to get naked. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but but you might actually find that even with a very small budget that people do want to participate. And also, mm-hmm. I think if you can get a tree with meaning down there mm. they're more likely to come down and use it and look at it and care yeah. for it and then when we you do because the, the one obviously these areas need maintaining so mm. we do need to organize regular work parties mm. to keep the weeds down from the paths mm-hmm. to make sure that the trees themselves have got enough light and space and air yeah um and so it does take a you know a fair bit of doing yeah and you're more likely to get people's investing in them if they've got a connection to the tree down there yeah absolutely and I think a lot of this is about engagement isn't it with nature and about you know wanting to to move forward with helping wildlife and nature to recover and actually that was going to be my next question about you know the maintenance moving forward because I think as you say it's all very well getting everyone excited about coming down and planting an orchard and Mm. being like oh we've done our bit for nature but you know they're they're young trees quite often that are going to need a bit of TLC just to help them to get going yeah, um they do. i mean so when you say kind of work parties how how many sort of hours i mean I know it's going to depend on the orchard and it's mm. going to depend on the location and what else is around it to some extent but you know are there particular key times of the year when people need to be kind of organizing maintenance or do they just need to keep an eye on it and when things get a bit too overgrown get down there with yeah. outer strimmer ideally <laughs> yeah well absolutely i mean this time of year when everything's growing like crazy because mm. it's so warm and, and damp um to get down there once a month mm. as a minimum would be ideal. And then over the winter, there's very little required, but that's when it's obviously a good time to plant mm-hmm. in the autumn, winter and, um, and take away any, you know, particularly invasive patches, but we're trying to leave the back wild. So there's a lot of dock and nettles there, but that's, you know, it's covered in invertebrates. It's mm-hmm. covered in caterpillars. I want to leave that there, but we are trying to landscape a little bit more at the front just to make it a bit more inviting for people that, might not get the nettles thing <laughs> yeah i know it's a, it's a tough one yeah. people see big swathes of nettles and just think yeah cut it down that's but it they that's are it. incredibly so, beneficial so. i think you also if you're thinking of doing it yourself have to think about balance and think about okay what do people want to sit in and we appreciate that people do like a lot of people do like in tidy neat areas mm. but this is not just for the whole community and that also includes our local wildlife not just people yeah and i mean i know our orchard is alongside the allotments and that can cause some degree of you know not friction but disagreements at time because i know you know dock seed and stuff can be very um (laughs) very easy to spread shall we say and and so so i guess it's about managing relationships as well a little bit sometimes yeah and um you know doing like creating more of a sort of natural screen between the two so they don't get showered with thistle seeds and Mm blowing mm. in so yeah you have to have to think about how how everybody feels about it i mean if i had my way it would be completely wild but you know <laughs> I, i've realized that's not what yeah it's a, it's a community orchard isn't it so yeah. it's about compromise and, and as you say i mean if it's about community engagement and and it's a, about thinking about how 
you engage the community yeah. as well definitely and yeah certainly want to be able to have the young children enjoying yeah, it and yeah. having little you know sessions down there without getting stung and scratched and yeah, no, <laughs> all the rest exactly. of it <laughs> and you and you can't let it all take you know all of that take over there does mm. need to be mm. a middle mm. way there yeah definitely and um, I mean I did read uh, an interesting article or tip that was talking about planting comfrey mm-hmm. under apple trees um, because the roots are really deep so they in theory don't interfere with the tree roots themselves yeah. but they do help to accumulate minerals and nutrients from deeper down in the soil and bring them further up yeah. and then when the comfrey dies back it's kind of a natural um, fertilizer mm. so is that something that you've heard before or thought about doing in uh, yeah orchard? I mean we actually do have some com- uh, clumps of comfrey down mm. there um, comfrey is amazing I know that it's an excellent natural fertilizer for mm. lots of different things and mm. also it's so good for pollinators mm. um, and I'm just a big fan of any sort of companion planting really mm-hmm. um, so I think it's really interesting I hadn't heard that specifically about fruit trees but mm. given that we're kind of halfway there then I think we could look at splitting up some of the clumps and having Mm -hmm. it around the bases I think that's really it's really interesting and um giving me something else to think about yeah yeah brilliant and um do you have any other sort of have you had any thoughts about what the future of our orchard might look like or are you just kind of (laughs) looking forward to seeing how it develops and well I have this I have this kind of lovely thought in my mind that when I'm dead and gone that we're going to have these wonderful old trees that Mm -hmm. are um, nice and thick and and um, you know our grandchildren will play under but that's mm. the kind of romantic part of me but also it would be wonderful as they mature to maybe have a wassail down mm. there and um, you know trying to get some sort of low if they really do it turns into even more of a beautiful area and really develops yeah, yeah. Um, you know getting getting events down there so maybe organizing either apple picking days yep, um, yep. or blossom days blossom yeah, days yeah. Uh, you know if there's the forest school at the local primary they can go down and use it Mm -hmm. just you know whatever I'm open to all suggestions but I just want people to get down there and enjoy it yeah yeah absolutely I mean I know you mentioned about funding for trees and when I was doing some research for this episode I did come across um, some schemes where people can get funding for for orchard planting and for trees so I will include um, a link to that in the episode notes for yeah. anyone who might be interested in, in pushing forward with doing something like this in their community. Um, but before we finish up, I just is there anything else that you'd like to add or think that we haven't covered that might be useful? Um, I just think it's just worth giving it a go. Anyone who's interested, mm. just start making a plan. Like I said, you know, it doesn't really matter what budget there is. If, if you could, but if you can engage the community early on and, and suggest it and get get a group of volunteers, get a core group who are really keen to help you mm-hmm. look after it. It's a lot for one person. Mm. Um, we have a, an, an amazing woman, Dawn, who comes down and does an awful lot of the landscaping in her spare time. And, you know, without without her, you know, the place would have just gone to see, gone to see probably. I don't believe so, that. But it's, <laughs> but it's um, yeah, just to start, I think I think there'd be a lot of more people interested in it than um, than you realise. It's mm. just, but get a, get a core bank of people who really care mm-hmm. and then watch it grow. So yeah. good luck. Yeah, <laughs> wonderful. I mean, I know that this is a great project for particularly sort of a lot of the wildlife wardens on the Teambridge Wildlife Warden Scheme. I know that there's been a lot of tree planting happening across the the borough. Um, yeah. And I think it must be mirrored in other boroughs up and down the country as well. Yeah. So, you know, perhaps we will get that return of a mosaic of spring blossom and orchards up and down the country we can that would be wonderful only hope we hope so yes but so yeah thank you so much for coming and chatting thanks for having me podcast today (laughs) and um yeah take care and you 
huge thanks again to Amy for taking time out of her schedule to come and contribute to the podcast. Moving on, what has been going on with our wildlife wardens across Teambridge? Well, Dave and Scott, wildlife wardens for Dawlish, are helping to organise, alongside the town council and other groups, an environmentally themed event for the public in Dawlish on the 2nd of June. ACT will have a stand at the event, so do pop by and say hi if you can. Here in Abbots Kurzweil, we are helping the church to become an eco-church. We started off by organising a mini bio-blitz of the churchyard, and 13 volunteers turned up, and we identified over 120 species in the couple of hours we were there, which is not bad when you consider they had mown the site recently. One of our recommendations will certainly be to revise the mowing schedule. Our Bobby Tracy wildlife wardens have been campaigning to save a stretch of land called Bonds Meadow, which is actually a three-acre woodland which is under threat of development because the National Trust want to sell it off for housing, and if planning permission is granted, that's what will happen. Joe, one of our Bovi supporters, took some fantastic photos of greater spotted woodpeckers raising young in a tree there, and many, many more species have been recorded in the woods. About 700, in fact, which I'm sure is just the tip of the iceberg. If you'd like to learn more about this or offer any help, I will put a link in the episode notes for you to look at. In Timmouth, some new wildlife beds have been created, and when our volunteers went along to make a start on them, a kind chap from Country Landscape who happened to be working nearby, offered his assistance. Now that's community spirit for you. There will be three new wildflower beds on verges in Tynmouth, so the next time you're over that way, do keep an eye out for them. In Doddis Coombsley, Elliot and Laura hosted a community orchard event at Embercombe a few weeks back as part of National Blossom Day. It focused on the history of orchards and how and why they have become so important for wildlife in this country. It then went on to tell why they are important for the future of our biodiversity and what actions people can take now to help the situation in future. They are also planting their own orchard year by year at their small holding and now have about 40 trees. There are plenty more planned and they're working with other landowners and parish councils to do the same. We also had a brilliant moth trapping evening for our wildlife wardens hosted here in Abbotskirswell by Devon moth recorder Barry Henwood. They saw some beautiful examples, which included striped hawk moths, which are not native to the UK and are likely carried here by recent winds. Lots of other wardens have shared other wildlife sightings over the last month, and I'm sure many other projects are going on too. Moving on, I'd like to have a look at what you can do in June to support your local wildlife. Devon Wildlife Trust are encouraging us all to take part in 30 Days Wild, This is their annual challenge where they ask everyone to do one thing wild a day throughout the month of June. You can sign up to receive a free pack, either through the post or via email, which contains lots of fun activities to keep you inspired. I'll include a link in the episode notes in case you'd like to get one. Devon Wildlife Trust also have some interesting events taking place in June. You can go on a bat safari in Bovey, visit an Avon Valley Nature Reserve, attend a butterfly walk and talk, or visit Beavers in Otterton. I'll include a link to their events page in case you'd like to learn more about any of these. Buglife are asking people to report sightings of flatworms. These non-native species have been accidentally brought into the country in plant pots. So if you buy any plants from your local garden centre and spot any funny-looking worms in them, do take a moment to report the sighting. Again, 
I'll include a link to their page for doing this. And finally, Plant Life are running a campaign to let road verges grow wilder to support our plant and insect species. Hopefully, you'll have seen how effective not mowing can be if you've taken part in No Mow May. You can sign their pledge to show your support, or you can go one step further and read up on how you can get more actively involved. Again, I'll include a link for that one as well. I'm going to leave it there for now for this episode, and we'll sign off as usual by saying that I hope you feel inspired to do something, however small, to help your local wildlife. This podcast was narrated and produced by me, Emily Marbay, with music by Poddington Bear. <laughs>